Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency, while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast brought to you by The Rollup, a media and education company that provides high-quality, actionable insights and information on all things Layer 2s, Rollups, DeFi, scaling solutions, new protocols, juicy alpha, and insightful research. We're excited to share with you the latest trends and development in the DeFi space so you can stay informed and ahead of the curve. Without further ado, we will jump right into this episode with a brief update on some of our current sponsors. Buffer Finance is a non-custodial, exotic options trading platform built to trade short-term price volatility and hedge risk of high leverage positions. They are a leader in the arbitrum charge taking over on layer twos and totally understand the potential of blockchain technology and how it's transforming the finance industry. They are proud to support DeFi by design. If you're looking for a platform to trade short-term options, look no further than Buffer Finance. With their innovative tech, easy to use platform, they're at the forefront of the options tech in Arbitrum. Visit their website, buffer.finance, and take a look at all their options. ZKX is a leader in the decentralized derivative DEX market on StarkNet. StarkNet is a cutting edge technology built to help scale Ethereum using ZK rollups. They understand the potential of scaling, blockchain tech, and how it's going to change the world of leverage trading. ZKX protocol is happy to be on testnet and will be on mainnet very shortly. Check out ZKX protocol on Twitter, as well as on Crew3 to get more information about what's going on on StarkNet. This episode of DeFi by Design is presented by Union. Union Labs was founded with a vision to create trustless infrastructure. The mission is to bring zero-knowledge proofs to various ecosystems and ensure a fair market for generating ZK proofs. While building in stealth, Union has developed the Union testnet and successfully established an IBC connection between this testnet and Ethereum. Union will bring assets natively to any blockchain and enable account abstraction with interchain queries. This setup is not a dummy or hacky one. It includes a full IBC stack, light clients with membership proofs, header verification using ZK proofs, a stateless relayer, and zero knowledge provers. Get answers to all your ZK questions on Union's website, union.build, and DM at union underscore build on X. Now let's get back to the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast, episode 111 here today with our boy Alec, uh, snowboarder and weightlifter. Dude is jacked. And um, yeah, we're, we're talking today about how we are going to jack the world of LS DeFi uh, and liquid staking and Ethereum staking yields through the roof. I'm excited right now because Rob and I just spoke to a friend uh, they actually received some of the Arbitrum STIP, so uh, they, were, they were telling us that Arbitrum ecosystem is about to get super juiced up. We got Bitcoin going to the moon. These podcasts have been different for the last 18 months. I remember jumping on in the bull, and it was like smiles and giddy and just whatever, and then in the last bit, it's been how can we build and build better tech and this and that and the other, so let's talk more about that and throw in some fun uh, hints at what you guys are building. Uh, Alex, so good to have you on here, Alex. Hey, uh, great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, we can have some fun while building. Those don't have to be mutually exclusive. Totally. Yeah, man. 
So Andy and I were actually talking. We were like, hey, like, we've got a full book of calls. Let's try to slim that down a little bit. But then we hopped on with our buddy, and he was telling us about, like, this Arbitrum stiff and kind of dropping a little bit of alpha. So, like, there goes to show, like, still got to talk to your friends. And I think I think that, like, the conversations have almost, like, taken a little bit of a turn here where, like, the alpha drop during the bear market, kind of like, Andy, what you were saying, like, the alpha drop during the bear market was, like, this, this like, account abstraction or, like, this tool, right? And it's, like, this integration is going to level us up. And then, and then the conversations in the bull are, like, Obama, Shiba, Inu, 42,000 just pump 30%. Let's ape. So like, how do we, is that, I'm, I'm kind of like reconciling that for myself as far as like balancing going from going from like pure heads down builder mode about the tech to like fuel, like full speculation mode. Is there like a middle ground there where like a little bit of speculation and a little bit of utility is the, is the right mix? Or how do you kind of like reconcile the philosophy during the bear and the philosophy during the bull? Yeah, um, good question. And so I've been through a couple of cycles now. This is my third cycle as like an investor, uh, second cycle as an operator. And this won't be like news to your audience members, but there's very clear hype cycles that come around or come along with this industry and technology as a whole where a new innovation is delivered to the market or it's basically this breakthrough innovation from the technology level. And then you see the following six to 12 months, a lot of hype and speculation around these new technology primitives. And oftentimes the speculation and the hype really outpaces the, the pace of innovation that's truly happening. So what you see is this really extended uh, speculative environment. We saw this in you know, 2017, 2021, and maybe we're approaching a new speculative environment. But on the you know flip side of these really speculative bubbles, you get these deep troughs. And during the deep troughs, a lot of the speculators and the marketers uh, kind of leave the market and maybe go back to their day job or go on to shilling something else where the builders stay and then they develop that next wave of innovation. And I think that's where we are now. We're seeing some really exciting products hit market and potentially it could lead to one of those uh, speculative manias once again. And to your question, Robbie, like where is the harmonious relationship between the two? I think the timing right now is exceptional. Because if we are at the forefront of one of these new speculative bubbles and we're leaving this kind of building phase, what that means is we have a tremendous technology that's being built and we're going to enter this wave of speculation where potentially things like incentive tokens that are being distributed for liquidity begin to have some value again and there's some speculation around those. So it can actually bring more users and uh, adoption to this this innovation that's happening, but we could very quickly get into a, a realm of speculation once again. So I would anticipate over the next six to twelve months, it's going to be a very high signal time where there's going to be great innovation. The builders are going to be, you know, building tremendous products, and the speculators 
may still be sidelined for another couple of months. Um, so it's a good time to be in the market right now, let's just say. Yeah, yeah. here's how, how your, uh, your decision-making from your past experiences with, at uh, being involved with the Education Network at Ben, as well as with Sparax, kind of came into these types of, of choices that you make now. Like for example, Rob and I spoke to Luca uh, CEO of Pudgy Penguins yesterday in the pod, and we were talking about decisions that you make from a builder perspective as far as announcements, marketing, releases, timing in these different phases. And I think this is a really good kind of segue from what Rob's original question in that, you know, is are, are those past experiences helpful in your decision-making now leading tenderize to understand where you are in the market, where the market is, where the users are, and like, you know, how the, how different, uh, strategic moves will be will be kind of uh, taken by, by the market, and, you know, which will have like the greatest impact. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think like high level, you know, during a bull market, there is obviously tons of speculation, but there is a ton of extremely high caliber builders and entrepreneurs participating in the market. So it's just an extremely fast pace, like. You know, a week, people joke to say like a week in crypto is like potentially months in the real world. And that's just like even further emphasized during a bull market. So when you're uh, building in a bull market, oftentimes you're fighting for attention. And there's a lot of uh, capital that's in the market, but it's oftentimes very bleedy capital. It's not very sticky capital. And you have to always be fighting for the attention of the market participants. Where when you're building products in a bear market, you get to have much more of an intimate relationship with your clients. And your clients are oftentimes long-term multi-year partners that are using your protocol uh, as an integral part of their business. Maybe they're actually integrating your protocol into their service offerings or they're building new products on top of your protocol, the conversation is much more strategic and aligned and collaborative instead of effectively fighting for uh, this kind of like super quick feedback loop attention through crypto Twitter. Um, like crypto Twitter is a lot less relevant in the bear for, for builders uh, because you can just call up your customers, you can call up your partners, your, your collaborators, or hit them up on Telegram and they don't have 500 messages that day. So they can actually reply. They can hop on a phone call with you. Um, so instead of being like constantly trying to engage your community, like the bear or like in the bull, in the bear, you can kind of focus on product, really hone in your communication and effectively talk with your customers before shipping product. You don't have to test it broad like you may have to during uh, a bull market. interesting i agree yeah bull markets you don't even have time to think really like by the time you have like a new comms strategy if you don't push it you know the whole market has moved on to a new topic that they're interested in so like you have to be on your game during a bull market during the bear you can really just focus on honing in on the product so it's for for true builders it's a refreshing environment to be in a bear market. A bull market is too high noise and 
everyone's trying to grift one another out of their shuttles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We also see the, the, the effect of bear market on builders tends to create infrastructure and tooling. And then the effect of the bull market is, is builders tend to create these Ponzi's, these flywheels, these, these applications on tops of the networks using the tools that are built during the bear market. So if you had like a piece of advice to share with builders about like how to, how to, again, kind of like cross the chasm from bear market to build to bull market, how do you, yeah. What, what do you suggest to, to builders out there, whether they're maybe like builders in your own company at tenderize or builders out there in general? So the question is dealing with the transition, like the changing of seasons between bear and bull. Yeah. And to, to even further that context, like I grew up in Florida where every there's one season year round and there yeah. was, there's not much up and down. It's all kind of like a steady flow, but in the, in the market, there are very clear seasons and cycles and sure. that can almost like be a jarring change and shock people like from when you go from one phase of the market to the next. So how do you help smooth over that transition? Yeah, well, there's something really important to note that startups don't go out of business. Startups run out of money. Okay. So um, most of the time startups are just fighting to find product market fit. Finally, once they find product market fit, they can have substantial recurring revenue. Then that recurring revenue can actually fund operations. But until they find product market fit, you either run out of cash or you don't. And in bull markets, it's really easy to either do a public sale, do some type of liquidity generation event, or go call up venture capitalists and go ask for uh, an extension of your runway to pay salaries. But in a bear market, that's not so easy, obviously. And the bear market will always last significantly longer than you anticipate. So say you want to raise, I don't know, $3 million to fund operations for three years. You can't expect that to actually last three years. I would cut your runway down by 50%, let's just say. Um, so just back the napkin math, the bear market is always going to be longer than you anticipate. And your burn rate is always going to be slightly higher than you forecast, just because it's expensive to hire really quality engineers, business developers, and those with relationships in the space. So manage your cash. You will run out of business, and you might say it's a protocol with a decentralized community. They'll just maintain it via contributions to the open source code. I appreciate your optimism, and I like you know respect you being so hopeful. But if you're not incentivizing individuals or a core team with a recurring salary, they're just going to stop working. So as a leader of your protocol or your DAO, ensure that you have operating capital because very quickly during a bear market, as you transition from a bull to a bear, people stop believing that the pie is going to grow. So instead of being collaborative and uh, with this mindset that a rising tide will rise all ships, Instead, they start trying to piece up the pot. Instead, they start talking about dissolving the DAO and distributing assets. 
and you just don't want your community or your core team to be then spending all of their time on thinking about how you wind this thing down when they should be thinking on how do we push the gas even harder? How do we make it through this bear market and really get actual product market fit on the opposite end? So transition, transitioning from bull to bear, buckle up, it's gonna be a hard road and ensure that everyone is, you ensure you have adequate runway. And then as you enter from uh, the bear to the bull market, my advice would not to be to overhype. Most of the time, your core team only needs to be five or six individuals. I love bringing up the uh, frats ecosystem because Sam Kaisman and those legends over there have been pumping up the whole ecosystem with like five engineers now for over four years. And the protocol peaked at like two, over $2 billion last, last cycle, like absolute legends. Most companies will overhire too soon and no need to focus on headcount objectives, but rather think about where you want to be from like an operational standpoint, what you want your people to be doing and then hire in accordance. Don't just hire because you're optimistic about the token price or anything like that. And then what else? Uh, operate this thing like a real business. Uh, it's very, very simple. You have revenue in and you have expenses going out. From the DAO perspective, your revenue going in are any fees you charge and your expenses going out are the amount of tokens that you give out in emissions. It's very simple. Make your revenue more than your expenses. And if you're going to be burning more than you're bringing in, understand that what you're doing is effectively uh, digging yourself a hole that in the future you'll have to get out of. So as soon as possible, try to get into a effectively cash flow positive position where you're bringing in more revenue than you're paying out in the market value of your tokens in each block. So it's a real business that we're operating. Yeah. Finances are important. Yeah, there's multiple points here that I want to reiterate, taking all the way back uh, to, to the fact that in, in, in the bear or in the bull, these tokens end up having more speculative value again, which gives you a kind of more, more flexibility. Um, you know, another, another really good point about just kind of having to, having to have the, the wherewithal to not, uh, kind of, uh, make the, the wrong choice at the, at the right point in the market. It's almost like, like in trading where, when you want to sell it's the time to buy, and when you want to buy, it's the time to sell. It's almost like when you're going from a, a bull to a bear, you, you, you don't want to have to be faced with this kind of, you've got this collaborative DAO structure of kind of, you know, contributors here, there, and the other who are just kind of helping out because they're all flush with cash. Uh, really, mm -hmm. you want to be kind of flooring it on um, on 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 a more concrete set of core team, uh, you know, with with a, a solid incentive structure. And then similarly, yes. when you when we're getting to the bull, you don't want to have to scale too too hard and and like you know prioritize growth, 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 growth at the expense of of kind of like look, looking at your actual bottom lines and saying like, you know, like, are we making any money here? Um, you know, yeah, we can raise more, but if the bear comes sooner than we expect, then we're going to have to do a lot of cuts and different types of, of, uh, of, of changes. And then finally, you know, the, the point on, 
on, okay, we need to basically uh, build in the bear to be able to excel in the bull. And I, I'm a big believer of that. And again, something that Luca was talking about yesterday is like, we can't just wait for the bull, like in the NFT community specifically, and the same thing applies for DeFi. We must kind of build there, build the technology uh, and build what, what people would want um, to be able to, uh, you know, get to that point. Obviously we can spice it up with things like this Arbitrum grant and other types mm -hmm. of yield uh, initiatives to kind of put some fuel on the fire. But ultimately, this, this, these grants wouldn't be possible without protocols like, like Tenderize, like others, GMX, et cetera, on, uh, you know, who have built through the bear. Speaking of that, you guys have just enabled liquid staking on any validator uh, recently, a couple of weeks back. Now, I'd like to kind of start at a very bare bones level as to your perspective on uh, how liquid staking and Ethereum validators, uh, you know, kind of collaborate and are... Uh, in unison. So why you kind of uh, have this focus on validators and then we can dive into more so of what you guys are doing. So from more of like a base level and a technical level, you know, uh, what is the relationship between these validators and liquid staking derivatives? How do they intertwine? What are kind of the sacrifices, trade-offs um, and different kind of parts to that puzzle? Yeah, this is a, a dynamic landscape so let me try and answer your question best i can um so high level um when it comes to like a relationship between liquid staking protocols and validators most liquid staking protocols today if not all uh select a pre-specified subset of validators in light of one of the industry's leading liquid staking derivative protocols they have 29 different validator partners. Uh, so when you use their protocol, your stake is distributed evenly across those 29 different validators. Other liquid staking protocols may select 10 validators. Maybe they'll select the top five validators. Either way, these like liquid staking protocols always are selecting a subset of validators and then creating one liquid stake token that is effectively an index of those various, uh, of the stake on those various uh, nodes. So you can think that the performance of this asset is now an aggregate of the performance of all of those different nodes. This works really, really well for the DeFi native individual. One who just wants to go to Uniswap or Curve and swap their ETH for whichever index is most liquid on uh, on Curve or on Uniswap. They just want yield on their ETH. They don't really care where it sticks to. Right? This is uh, a wonderful phase one or version one of liquid staking. But if you look at the TVL, it's it's clearly pretty big. It's around $16 billion today. But there's another subset of the market that really wants to use liquid staking, but is actually neglected from participating in liquid staking because of this notion of the liquid staking solutions today being an index. Uh, so there are two really important user groups. First is the at-home staker who runs their own hardware in their basement. They are sophisticated OGs and they know that they can run their software and they won't screw it up. Very simple. So they want to stay staked to their own hardware. So this notion of having an index of 29 different validators doesn't fly for them. 
because they want to keep their stake on their hardware. And then there's another user group, which are people that are staked to staking service providers. Think of like the figments of the world or Coinbase. So this could be retail or it could even be like a big regulated institution. Either way, there are people that prefer for whatever reason, whether it's regulatory or just their preference, they prefer to stay staked to the staking company of their choice. Okay. So now both of those user groups can actually use the tenderized protocol to enjoy liquid staking, but the stake stays siloed to whichever validator that they pick. So if they're like a large regulated institution, they get to stay staked to their compliant staking partner. Or if you're an at-home validator, like Andy, if you're running some hardware, you can spin up a liquid version of your stake on your exact node and then go enjoy the liquid staking ecosystem. And we can get into like, you know, what are the major uh, strategies or like the popular strategies we're observing. But yeah, that's high level. Most people have these indexes and it's good for DeFi users, but it actually leaves the institutions or the at-home staker in the dust. And now Tenderize exists to service those, uh, those neglected user groups. And what's funny is those neglected user groups make up $45 billion of capital today, where the liquid staking derivatives only make up about 16 billion. So it's not this like small subset of the market. We'd actually argue that the liquid staking derivatives today are fighting over the crumbs, where the real meat of the opportunity are these institutions and at-home stakers. And that makes up $45 billion worth of staked ETH today. And these are, this is ETH that's already staked. It doesn't have to enter the market. It's already staked. And now with our protocol, they can spin up a liquid version of their stake. Yeah, I think is the, is the, well, first I, I appreciate the broad explanation. I think that the main, the main takeaway there was that there's, there's a select few, uh, basically nodes that are being, that are getting more value than the others because of, of these uh, larger protocols choosing them uh, as their, as their quote unquote index, as you say, and that, and that exactly. these end up with more MEV with higher yields and the others receive less. Now, is that a, is that a, a preferential treatment? Is that a centralization problem? Or is that just a, a, who has better hardware, like free market kind of situation? Like how does that situation arise and then yeah let's dive deeper into how tenderize is then uh you know giving the the those who don't have this preferential treatment uh an advantage and kind of how that works taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors right before we get back to this fascinating discussion we have a message from our current sponsors here we go i want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor premia finance Premium is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premium, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. Well, what sets Premium apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premium has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Uh, feel free to check it out at premium.finance. Um, hedge your risks or amplify your positions 
um, to earn more capital efficient returns on premium finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Planet Finance. I've recently uh, on, been onboarded as an advisor for Planet Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction. With Planet Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless, user-friendly experience. Planet Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Planet Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's an amazing amount of effort going into building this app that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Planet Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think it's a, it's like a um, situation where they're getting special treatment. It's really just a, a market phenomenon. So, you know, the most liquid solution in the market, that's the most liquid on curve can handle the most throughput and it can handle the most volume. So if you're an individual with $5 million worth of ETH and you want to swap it for state D, you just simply need a pair can handle a $5 million swap without subjecting you to uh, significant slippage. So it's not like the users of Stake ETH today are like, you know, prefer the 29 that support Stake ETH. Rather, Stake ETH is just liquid on curve and they just want to go grab whatever's liquid on curve. Um, that's fine. But for these much larger, more regulated institutions, or sophisticated actors that are staking in their basement, uh, there's no ability for them or no just no way to justify uh, using one of these indexes because you may suffer reduced yield. Or if you're a regulated institution, you may have a contract with a staking service partner that you're going to use them for your staking services for the next five years, sometimes even longer. Because uh, there are these real, in-person business relationships. Uh, so when it comes to that kind of neglected group of capital, um, or you know, the users of Stake Deep today, it's not because they really love the 29 that are supporting Lido. It's really just the fact that Lido exists and is liquid. Um, now you asked, what is what is in it? What, okay, uh, how do I frame this up? Like, what's in it for the staking companies that are currently using Lido? And why maybe would they want to engage with Tenderize? Um, let's just use a, a company like Luganodes. So Luganodes is one of our launch partners. They offer uh, staked Matic. They have over $400 million of clients' capital staked to their hardware, okay? That's their competitive advantage, that they have $400 million of assets under management. So they work with groups like Lido to bring on, to bring in more capital to their or more stake to their hardware. But when it comes to their $400 million of current delegators or current assets under management, these index style solutions don't provide any value to the current stakers of Luganodes 
simply because Luga nodes will never promote Lido to their current customers because the second that current customer unstakes from Luga nodes and mints their Lido version of their liquid state Matic, the stake is removed from Lido and it gets distributed across the various nodes that are validating uh, the Lido infrastructure. So the competitive advantage for these staking companies, which is their assets under management, they, they don't want to work with Lido to service their current customers because they'll lose assets under management. But with Tenderize, what they do is they use our solution as a white labeled experience. And instantly, their current delegates or their current assets under management get to enjoy liquid staking. But Luga nodes doesn't lose any of their assets under management. So it's, it's not a conflicting, you know, we're not competing against or extracting any TVL from them, but rather activating assets that already exist. So we can work harmoniously with Lido and we can partner with Luga nodes and they can partner with us and they can partner with Lido. And all it's going to do is increase their delegations and offer liquid staking to their current delegates. So it's not like this uh, experience where they have to pick us or Lido per se. Uh, they can work with both of us. You mentioned how TVL is the competitive advantage for, for staking providers uh, like Lido. Um, and that's almost how they arrive at product market fit. Maybe there's an inflection point there. Uh, I would argue that the, the liquidity is the is the moat for Lido, mm -hmm. and then AUM is the moat for the staking companies. Um, yeah, I just wanted to parse that apart. Okay, and and then how do you how do you kind of like unpack product market fit? Is it different? between the staking infrastructure providers and the staking companies themselves? Like what does product market fit look like for Lido? And then is that the same or is that different from like what product market fit looks like for Tenderize? I think product market fit, you know, for, for Lido and some of those index products, they've already proven that they have product market fit for the, the dollar that doesn't need to bother with KYC, for the dollar that doesn't need to bother with AML, uh, maybe the dollar that prefers to be a dark dollar, someone who's doing you know, geographic arbitrage, uh, is trying to avoid regulations, i.e. a lot of DeFi users today. Lido is a perfect solution for them. They can sign on with their VPN, they can go to Curve, which will never be geo-blocked and they can buy stake deep. No one has any idea who's holding it. No one has any idea who's interacting with the pool. It's radically decentralized. This is great, but not everything needs to be radically decentralized, right? So when it comes to product market fit for Tenderize versus a Lido, Lido has their product market fit with all the dark capital. All the radical DeFi DGen and in characters, they're already using Lido in their mapping. But there's this massive, massive pool of capital, $45 billion versus the $16 billion currently liquid staked. 
this $45 billion, which is staked capital, but not yet liquid, there is no product market fit for them because they are barred from using liquid staking. So tenderized product market fit for us looks a lot more like onboarding those regulated institutions or onboarding those high net worth at home stakers into liquid staking. And the cool part about this is we don't have to convince them to go buy ETH or convince them to use some obscure new index protocol, but rather they get to stay staked to the hardware they're already staking to. And now all they get to do is enjoy the benefits of liquid staking, like borrowing, collateralizing, lending. Um, so they don't have to get past the mental hurdle of like, you know, what is this new protocol? What are the various nodes that are supporting the protocol? They've already done that. They already spent a year plus working with a staking service provider to cut a deal, you know? So for us, all we have to do is activate that already onboarded capital. So product market fit for us is onboarding those validator specific users that demand risk to be siloed. And it's a little bit different than the user profile of the yield maxi and uh, I guess you could say the, the DeFi Wild West maxi, which is a lot more, there's uh, a lot of different requirements, let's just say, than like the US regulated side. I mean, I mean, you touched on the 45 billion that's, and that's what we touched on on the space last week was that that large, that was like largely the conversation was basically what I was trying to get at in a lot of the questions was there's this big bunch of capital that effectively is not being staked with your protocols yet. How do we do it? And a lot of the answer was risk tolerance and lack of awareness and education. But I think there's a whole other subset of capital that you guys could be appealing to, which you kind of touched on a bit, which is outside of this 45 billion that's already staked. While it's easier to do sales and marketing to a, a collection or a market that has already sold on the idea of ETH and ETH staking, there's also this massive market of this institutional capital that's slowly getting the green light with the Bitcoin ETFs and eventually an Ethereum mm -hmm. one and slowly getting opened up to where you guys can position yourselves through your staking partners as like their, their go-to kind of uh, protocol to use, right? So where, where you yeah. can have a big edge is, is if, you know, instead of just focusing on this dark capital, you have these good relationships with, uh, I think you mentioned like Figment, for example, or XYZ, other uh, potential partners where they have uh, Mr. Saudi Arabia Giga Whale, who's KYC and AML somehow, who knows how that happened, but he's legal. And yeah. they brought this guy in with a hundred mil. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we'd like to put half this uh, to work with you guys. I mean, there's no marketing that you guys had to do other than establish that relationship. So I think, I think that's a whole nother batch of capital that, that is waiting to enter. Maybe doesn't need that, doesn't know that they need this yet, but eventually with more speculation cycles and more time, Will eventually feel that need and you know there's a there's a chance that you guys might be able to fulfill that in addition to the other batch that is already staked but not yet liquid no great point andy uh so on that note like because because ste is so liquid on curve and because most of the users of DeFi today are kind of those like anon ogs that still actually somehow have capital after this you know, multiple boom and bust cycles. Um, 
that is kind of the reason why we're having the centralization with state deep because the primary user group today that still has any money that's still transacting on chain are these kind of radically non-KYC anon characters. But as the bull market returns, we're going to see a lot more market participants that are more normy uh, or maybe want exposure through a regulated vehicle. They'll have partnerships with staking service providers. They will not be partnering with a decentralized protocol. So as you mentioned, uh, these regulated institutions will have a, a preferred staking partner. And as we are already laying the groundwork with infrastructure deals with these staking partners, the staking partner gets to accept this capital in a hyper either regulated, um, but it doesn't have to be regulated. I just want to make that clear. Um, they get to accept their partner's capital in a trusted staking relationship. And then on the back end, they can offer their users the ability to spin up the stake and it can stay staked to that one individual piece of hardware. So maybe as this new capital enters the market, they won't want to use an index style protocol. Instead, they'll prefer to stake to their preferred staking partner. And the implication of this is maybe we could actually end up reducing some of Lido's market share and this, this like fear mongering around Lido owning too much stake. Uh, we can actually counteract that whole phenomenon, not by asking them to self-regulate because that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my damn life. Asking a business to stop accepting customers is just stupid. But instead, what we can do is provide a vehicle for these new dollars that are entering the market to stake to their preferred staking partner and still enjoy what Lido can offer, which is liquid staking. But you don't have to give it to Lido where they're already managing 32% of the stake. Instead, you can stake it to your preferred provider or stake it at home and then use Tenderize to spin up the liquid version of your stake, borrow, lend, do whatever you'd like to do in the DeFi ecosystem. And these are all parts of what's coming with Tenderize V2 here, here shortly. You mentioned like TenderSwap and a couple other, uh, let's say, capital efficient uh, options that users could have. Yeah, totally. Um, would it be helpful to give a quick overview of kind of like- uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, right I think on. So. Yeah, so we have uh, three core products. The first one is Tender Vaults. That's where any user can go to our front end, which is app.tenderize.me. And you can select which validator you would like to stake to. And then you can spin up a, uh, a tradable version of your stake on whichever hardware you selected. Okay. That's wonderful. But now what the hell do you do with your stake? You just send it to your buddy? Like, sure, but there should be more opportunities and more strategies for this new derivative. And the first use case uh, is powered by our new decentralized exchange called TenderSwap. TenderSwap is a public shared liquidity pool that is designed so anyone that spins up a liquid stake derivative, even on the most low liquidity piece of hardware on that network, so say like you're at home stake or doing ETH, and you literally spin up one ETH of like Andy STE, you can route that one 
Andy STE through our shared exit pool of ETH. And you don't have to bother about making your own market. So it's really, really powerful because all these longer tail assets now have instant liquidity thanks to our shared liquidity pool. You don't have to try to compete against like state D on curve because you probably won't ever get to the same liquidity levels. And then we have our third and final product, which is uh, called Beef Bank. And Beef Bank is a new uh, liquid state derivative backed stablecoin. So what this means for the end user is that you can post your uh, liquid staked position as collateral, and then you can borrow stable coins against it. So you can either borrow stable coins to earn a little bit of yield on those stable coins, which would boost uh, the yield of your staked position. Uh, you can buy more staked position with it. This would be like a leverage long. Or you could sell futures and go short and do like a delta neutral play. But uh, moral of the story, you can wrap your stake with tender vaults. You can sell your stake instantly with tender swap. Or you can borrow against your stake by using Beef Bank. This sounds like recreating the entire DeFi universe inside Tenderize. Yeah, it is, it is a whole LS DeFi ecosystem. Like when we talk with our partners, we say, look, you partner with us and we're not just delivering you liquid staking. We're delivering you an out of the box whole LS DeFi ecosystem where your clients can borrow against it. They can lend their stake. You know, they're not going to be like just wrapping their stake and then waiting for new use cases. Uh, we're going to bring them all right out of the box and we're just very, very excited about delivering this for some longer tail assets. You know, it doesn't have to just be for STE through Ovid, but rather you can offer new CDPs for some of these longer tail assets and do peer-to-peer -peer liquidations. Um, we're a little bit in the weeds when we're talking about our liquidation engine, but either way, there's alternative approaches to liquidating stable coins to ensure that they're still stable and you can still offer very high loan to value uh, lines of credit against some lower liquidity assets. So super stoked to be offering that to some of our stable partners here. Today. And, and by the way, I'm talking like our mainnet's already live. Um, by the time this comes out, our V2 testnet will be live, but we're still about one month away from our mainnet launch. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Could you? Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Time, time is ticking. Uh, time is ticking. Could you explain a little bit more? And you touched on it briefly just now, but could you explain a little bit more around the thought process of starting your V2 with these longer tail assets? What? Why did you choose to incorporate Live Peer, Matic, and GRT, and not focus on ETH? Yeah. So. We wanted just to wedge our way into the market with some of these longer tail assets, kind of prove out the concept before tackling ETH with like the massive, I guess, overhead and competitive landscape that currently exists in ETH. Um, and we, some of the tenderized core team members uh, used to be senior protocol leads at LivePeer. So, uh, and we actually operate some live pool video mining pools. So, 
for live peer video mining pools. So live peer was an absolute no brainer. And we also have a very close relationship with the Graph Foundation. So we are also shipping liquid staked GRT, uh, the asset that uh, you know powers all the various subgraphs that are powering all of our DeFi protocols. And then we're also going to market with Matic. Uh, and we have partnerships with all these various foundations and these foundations are super aligned with our launch, even providing TVL uh, to the campaign. So with those business relationships, you know, it was a no brainer to first hit market with some of these longer tail assets. And then once we prove out the model and have the relationships established with our staking partners, it requires nearly no additional BD effort for us to activate it therein because we're already going to have the business relationships established with our 25 launch partners that we already have. And almost all of them also have ETH staking. So once we activate ETH staking in January of next year, um, we already have this network of effectively business development reps that are going to be advertising our service offerings, but it's all branded as a white label liquid staking approach for these, these companies. So uh, we will be tackling ETH in January of next year, but we wanted just to kind of wedge our way into the market and uh, solidify our business relationships with these staking partners, first with longer tail assets that differentiates them uh, and their product offering. And once we're wedged in and we have a little bit of a proof of concept going on mainnet, then we'll drop the uh, ETH stake in January. Yeah, there's less competition there. And you could effectively go less. to any, yeah, any proof of stake uh, token too, you know, theoretically, right? Yeah. Yep, and the easiest ones are ones that have delegated proof of stake right off the bat, because um, then we can just operate at the delegation level, and then we can we could literally deploy a new staked asset for a DPoS chain in a weekend. So we're already talking with a couple other chains, including Gnosis Chain and some CK partners, uh, to already begin looking at some next steps as to new assets that we want to onboard right after Ethereum. Yeah. Epic. Well, yeah, I think Rob can share this similarity that we're excited to see how this how this launches with Testnet. Um, and we didn't even touch on the uh, expected rewards, wink, wink, for participating in Testnet as well as Mainnet. So we'll just leave that here for another episode coming soon in a couple months. Maybe do another pod Q1 and, and uh, chat more about how things have gone. So um, as far as wrapping this one up, Alec, thank you for your time. Uh, and for sharing insights uh, for for uh, all builders and users alike, uh, for liquid stakers, uh, for people who are interested in, uh, in tenderize and in this industry of getting yields on Ethereum, as well as other assets. Um, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to seeing Testnet uh, come out here shortly. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Uh, always a pleasure chatting with you guys and look forward to talking again. Likewise. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening to the DeFi by Design podcast. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below, as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.